The concern's been there. You know, it doesn't start today. It's been there. Um, however, uh, we understand we got a job day in and day out, um, and that's that's winning ball games. You know, it's um, as a team. Um, Buck talked to us, and uh, we just got to continue to 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 fight day in and day out, and and uh, stop worrying about what's going to happen. We, we gotta we gotta have a search of urgency. We have this sense of urgency. Um, Coming in day in and day out, and just work as hard as you can. Be accountable for your job. Be a professional baseball player, and um, just get the job done. Just get the job done day in and day out. You know, today we have a uh, we lost. Think about it. Learn from it. Come back tomorrow. We have off. Hopefully, we can come back and and put a great show for the for the fans at home. It's another edition of the Talking Mets podcast here on this Sunday, June 11, 2023. Of course, I'm your host, Mike Silva. You can check me out all the time at thetalkingmetspodcast.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media. And you can show an Apple podcast, Spotify, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. If you want to interact with me, Mike Silva at talkingmetspodcast.com. No G. Mike Silva at talkingmetspodcast.com. You can get me on Instagram, talkingmetsnog. And I want to welcome in the good folks from the fan-sided podcasting network, as well as RisingApple.com. Welcome to another edition of the Talking Mets Podcast. Joining me in just a little bit, one of the great voices out there, independent media, Subway Shea, Anthony Rivera will be joining me. I know a lot of you get in touch with me and say Anthony's one of your, next to me of course, one in one A, we'll talk about it. One of your favorite uh, voices out there. So why not combine the two? Been a long time since we've talked to Anthony. I I think he was on the last Luminary panel back in the fall. I do know last year he came on middle of the season. Every once in a while, Anthony and I like to catch up. Uh, I I really enjoy his work, and I think he's going to provide a lot on what has become somewhat of a Mets therapy podcast, but also some real talk. And I'm going to give you some real talk in just a minute. But first, let's talk about Caesars Sportsbook. And Mets fans in New York should be excited about Caesars Sportsbook because we have an offer from Caesars Sportsbook that you won't want to miss. New customers can get their first bet on Caesars up to $1,250. Yes, you heard me, $1,250. All you have to do is use our code TALKINGMETSFULL. Remember, there's never a G after Talking Mets when you're at sign-up. If you sign up with our code TALKINGMETSFULL, you will not only have your first bet insured, but you will also be directly supporting the podcast. What better way to interact with the podcast than to support me on a daily basis? So if you haven't signed up for Caesar Sportsbook, join with our code, TalkingMetsFull, and drop your first bet. This offer is only available for new customers who are 21 and over and physically present in New York. Please, as always, I ask that you gamble responsibly. If you or a loved one has a gambling problem, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text Hope and Why, which is 467-369. See podcast description for full terms. Thanks again for supporting the Talking Mets podcast. All right, let's get to the show. And if you followed me on on Twitter yesterday, I kind of let everybody know that I had a chance for the first time to go to the Belmont Stakes. And 
had a chance to see that great race and, and win a couple of bucks. I mean, here I am promoting Caesar's Sportsbook, but, you know, I go for the Belmont and I pick the winning horse and win a few bucks, very few bucks. It was a very modest bet. Had a lot of fun. But as I was watching the different races throughout the day, something really came to me as I'm up watching up on the scoreboard, watching the horses, looking at the numbers of each horse. And, you know, I would go into the program and I know nothing about handicapping. Horse racing, nothing, zero. I'm not Mike Francesa, whose horse, by the way, was there and finished third. So apparently Mike was in the building along with the Talking Mets podcast. And there would be these horses that were 25 to 1, 40 to 1, 45 to 1. And you know what's fun is you, you place a bet on one of these long shots. You figure you plus one, $2, you win, you win 90 bucks. Great return on investment. And as the race would start and the horses would jump out of the gate, now – I believe Belmont's, what, about a mile and a half, maybe a mile, something along those lines. You guys who are experts in this probably know better, so forgive my ignorance. If your horse, you were betting on one of these long shots, so one of the ones that were not expected to win back-of-the-pack type of in terms of odds, inevitably the first quarter mile, half a mile, maybe even halfway around the track, these horses were right there with the best. And you would think, hey, they got a chance to win. Maybe they're not as bad as I thought. And maybe the horse that was in lead, maybe they're not as good as I thought. Maybe the handicappers are wrong. And sure enough, and this would happen inevitably almost every race that I was watching. And I'm talking about, you know, the long shots here, the guys who were really down the pack. As you turn the corner, as you got into that last quarter of a mile, the pretenders fell back. The real winners, the horses that were built to win, kicked it into gear. And even though there would be a scrum at the end, the the handicappers who know horses, they, they understand what makes a winning horse. They weren't too far off. And those that were long shots, you know, maybe they did better than expected, but they fell back when the rubber meets the road. And it really brought to mind, in my opinion, how the baseball season works. Because it's very much like... The Belmont Stakes, it's very much like those horses around the track. Everybody's bunched up next to each other at the beginning. And early on, everybody's kind of bunched together. And maybe even halfway through, like the All-Star break, everybody's still kind of in it. But when things get serious, that's when the pretenders separate are separated, you know, from the real winners, from the real studs. And I don't think we're at that point in the baseball season, but we're coming close to that. And as we look at the New York Mets, where, you know, this week has been probably one of the most, if not the most, frustrating weeks under Steve Cohen. I mean, the series in Atlanta, and I think it was Todd Zeal who talked about it in the postgame. I mean, if that doesn't evoke memories of history, evoke memories of all the bad times at Turner Field back in the late 90s. And, you know, whenever you could think of the Braves, whether they're good or bad, how they've been always a tough out for the Mets especially in Atlanta. I mean, everything that you could think of, blown leads late, walk-offs, starters disappointing, everything happened in that series. And and then you go into Pittsburgh and you lose two out of three, and, and in the midst of all that, Buck Showalter calls a team meeting. And you got to start to think as we land here, and we're about a month away from the All-Star game, you know, whether the actual – 50% way, half point of the way of the season actually hits on the All-Star game. Usually doesn't. It's usually more than that. Who cares? But the theme of the show is season on the brink because 
quite honestly, at this point, the Mets are on the brink. And what will happen over the next 30 days or so, similar to these horses I talked to you in the Belmont Stakes, is that they're still bunched up. Now, they're behind the leader, and there's a clear leaders out there. Not many. You know, Atlanta would be one of those leaders. Dodgers maybe at the top. But when it comes to the wild card, everybody's still pretty bunched up. There's a lot of mediocrity in the wild card race. And at some point in the very near future, there will be separation. And for the Mets, there has to be a thought that, you know, maybe this ain't happening. And what we thought was going to be a season where, at this point, what do they need? We know what the needs are. You know, if everybody's playing to the back of their baseball card, we know what the needs are. They need another bullpen arm. Probably they'd like to go out and rent a closer, maybe. They probably need, not probably, they definitely need another starting pitcher. And they probably could use some kind of component bat. These are not impossible things to get on the market. They may get expensive and may cost some prospect capital. Because look at last year for some very ancillary type of moves. The Mets didn't give up tremendous prospect capital, but enough where, you know, some people are starting to look at some of the low miners talent they gave up and questioning whether they gave up too much for the reinforcements last year. And, you know, what you want to see from this team is process. They may not be good enough. You know, if they don't play to the back of the baseball card, they may not be good enough anyway. What I think and why Buck Showalter called a meeting and why there was so much anger, the Mets started to look not like they quit, but maybe they felt the season caving in on them. Marte missing a ball, the sloppiness of Friday night. And they started to look like a team that if they were waiting for the roof to cave in on a nightly basis, maybe that's a, maybe that's unfair to say, but it started to feel like a team that every night was waiting for something bad to happen. And maybe that's where Buck's conversation came into play. Now, what I find interesting is that this was the first week in a long time that the usual rear its ugly heads type of behavior came to the forefront. I don't think it's just on Twitter. It was on talk radio. It was in uh, major newspapers where the media sees a fan base simmering with anger. They're disappointed. Even though all the metrics, the fact that the Mets starting pitching has been so bad, so bad all year. They walk so many hitters. The fact that every advanced statistic indicates their record is where it should be. Actually, they're slightly better than where they should be if you base it on their Pythagorean one loss. Didn't matter. Mets had this big payroll. They had all this promise despite the Diaz injury, despite the fact they didn't close the deal with Correa. Could you imagine Correa with his injury and his underperformance on this squad with that legacy contract, that in perpetuity it seemed like contract? Could you imagine? It's actually worse. And, um, you know, with the simmering fan base who now is demanding, just fire someone. Give me something. I'm angry. Fire a hitting coach. Fire the manager. Fire the GM. Uh, you know, throw over tables. It's funny. Just a few years ago when Brody Van Wagenen threw a chair, it was like, oh, my God, he threw a chair. How can he do that? Now that's what you're looking for people to do. That's what you're looking for. And the media sensing that is now starting to circle and, and do what they do, which is, Typically call for firings because that's a good clickbait that'll give you a day or two of news. And then the other great pastime is how can they see how the Mets or they could propose trades because in their minds they have some influence, which they don't. That Billy Epler would say, hmm, that's great. Let me gift Verlander and Scherzer and 
whoever else that they think the Yankees could use across town to help the Yankees with their pennant hopes. All the usual clickbait, all the usual behaviors. And, and here I am to tell you, you have to stay away from that kind of mindset. The roster is what it is. It's not a roster that right now, to solve the problem, you could do a, a bunch of upheaval. Sure, as a Verlander, I'm sure they have no trade clauses in their contract. I'll find this out before the, the show is over. Uh, it's not going to be easy to trade them. Um, firing Buck? What are you going to put in? Eric Chavez? You know, I know what people say. Look what happened when Willie Randolph was fired for Jerry Manuel. The Mets got off to a, a streak, and then Davey Johnson for Bud Harrelson. But I could also argue in both of those situations, you know, maybe Bobby Valentine with the coaches. I'll throw that in there. Every one of those situations, those are teams that the players had to start playing to the back of their baseball cards for things to turn around, and they did. Now, whether that managerial firing shook them up enough to get that going, we could debate that. I could argue that it would have happened under Davey Johnson, the 1990 Mets, getting themselves situated and straightened out, and although they lost the division, win the 90-plus games that team profiled as. Same thing with the 1999 Mets, who are a talented team, have a hard time believing that firing a pitching coach and some coaches, which you know Steve Phillips has talked about on MLB Network Radio as a host, even though there's some correlation, I think it's very loose. I think it you know, was a situation where it was more political at Bobby Valentine than it was about the players. It was maybe neutering Bobby Valentine in a power play. That's my opinion. And then as far as Jerry Manuel and Willie Randolph, there was a lot more to that with Tony Bernazard than we could get into on this show. I think that team can, you know, continues to be who they are whether Willie was there or not. You know, it's not like Jerry Manuel was very different in terms of his in-game managing strategy. You have a, you want to say, borderline Hall of Fame manager in Buck Showalter. And the manager at this point, and let's make it clear, they're not even making out the lineup. They have a voice in the room, but it's the organization making out the lineup. They're managing the bullpen. They're managing the clubhouse. They're holding the players accountable. They're making sure the players put in their work and they're being the best versions of themselves as they can be. And they're a mouthpiece of the media. And let's be frank with the media – Nobody really uses the media as a mouthpiece or as a message piece anymore. Uh, you, you, Buck talks before the game. Buck talks after the game. He talks throughout the uh, the series, each three-game, four-game series. And other than staying on point like a politician where they have to do the work, they have to put in what they want to get out, you don't get that much out of Buck. He'll talk a little bit about the game and give you some rationales behind why he made certain moves. And he'll talk about the game on a bigger note. But you're not getting any kind of behind-closed-doors information from Buck Showalter. He's managing the team behind closed doors. Nobody knows how that goes. And Buck, unlike some of the predecessors that come to town, namely Terry Collins, he's not poning up to one or two members of the media to use them as a mouthpiece for himself in the paper. He doesn't care. Buck could go off to the sunset tomorrow, and his reputation is intact. He came here, and he helped put this team in a better place than it was before and added professionalism. Steve Cohen, you have to give Steve Cohen a ton of credit for basically taking Joel Sherman, who was fishing for Cohen to go off or to, you know, essentially act like George Steinbrenner, because that's what they've been hoping for for a long time. And look, I'll read the quote verbatim from the New York Post from Cohen, you know, responding to the moment and what the crisis is and why the fans want somebody's head. You know, what did Cohen say? And he writes, I get the day the fans want immediate results. That's, there's a real recency bias. What have you done for me lately? You can't make changes like that. That's not good management. It's not good strategy. You're better off trying to manage through these periods and not throw your entire plans out the window. 
It's just not good management, good strategy. That's not how I'm going to run this team. That's not how I'm dealing with my people. And if people don't like it, what can I tell you? I'm going to do it the way I do it. I don't know who they thought they were getting. Just because I spent money doesn't mean a change. I'm going to run it my style, thoughtful, involved, and sometimes there's no easy answers, and you have to accept that. That is a money ball quote. That is exactly how you run an organization. Whether you agree that Epler's the right guy, Epler's an analytics GM. You've been begging some of you in this, uh, uh, listeners of this show, those who interact with me on Twitter or wherever, you were begging for years for an analytics GM. Oh, the Mets are dinosaurs. Now you got an analytics GM, you got an analytics front office, you've got a manager who gives you the best of both worlds where he's old school and understands the heartbeat of the player, but he is able to in- adjust and adapt to the changing environment where the lineup card is really not his. I mean, let's face it. Do you think the way that the lineups change every day, do you think Buck would be having some of this wildness? I mean, we talk about the baseball musings calculator. But to me, you know, what makes me laugh about all these analytics lineups, and I know that there's some algorithms you could put together where, you know, if you put guys in a certain way against certain pitchers, the way they hit, it probably maximizes your run creation, whatever. But honestly, uh, we did that little fun with numbers back in the paper bag math last week. And what is it, a tenth of a run that changes things? I think it's negligible. And again, I'm not uh, some high-level data scientist, so you could throw anything that I say out the window. It's poop. Really, it's poop. But, uh, you know, if I was Buck and I had to guess what Buck would want, you know what Buck's lineup would be? It'd be Nimmo leading off. It would be Lindor or, uh, or McNeil batting second. And then those who wasn't batting second would be batting third. Probably McNeil second, Lindor third. When Alonzo's healthy, fourth. Alvarez now has earned about being the fifth spot. Beatty sixth. Maybe you flip-flop them. Then it would come Marte. And maybe Marte flips with McNeil in the two spot, depending on how that goes. Um, then you would have your your Canna eighth, and then batting ninth would probably be, you know, depending on who uh, DH, you know, Valgelback, Tommy Pham, whatever it may be, Vientos would be batting ninth, uh, and maybe you can move that around depending if Alvarez DHs and you have Navarez catching or what have you. That would be my lineup pretty much every day with a few exceptions. Easy, pencil it in, and I think there is, to me, there's a couple things about why the Mets offense is inconsistent. I do think they're somewhat passive. I know there's some numbers that indicate that a little bit. And number two, I do think guys moving around the lineup and all over the place, I don't think it's healthy. I think the way analytics front office approaches it, a lot of things is unhealthy for the psyche of a player. But everybody's doing it, and it's so far out there that if the Mets do something different, they'll be the outlier. And that's not who they hired when they hired Billy Appler. He's going to be very much into that. I mean, it's like taking a lineup uh, analyzer. I mean, part of me wonders, it's almost like the analytics version of what Billy Martin would do, which is put a bunch of names in a hat and pull them out, and that's your lineup. I mean, you could do that. Sometimes I wonder. But, you know, the season is on the brink. I mean, you're losing Pete Alonzo for a month. That is a killer injury. And what did I tell you? Pete, it's always been a fear of mine with the way he takes a ton of fastballs and sliders off that uh, uh, hand. It's only a matter of time. He's lucky he didn't break the wrist. A wrist is critical to hitting, and if that wrist is not healthy, it will sap his power, and it will take a, a really good power year, and it could turn it to dust overnight. So hopefully Pete's just a bruise. It'll heal. and you know Maybe he's on the shorter end of that DL stint than the longer end, but this is a lineup right now, and this is a team right now with the injuries to the starting rotation, with Quintana out, with no Diaz, 
with how the component players have not lived up to expectation, where how you haven't gotten the season that you expected out of your stars like McNeil and Dorr, you really can't afford to have Pete out. And you are truly at an inflection point right now. But the inflection point, it's, it's not changed. It's not changed. It's not about firing anybody. It's not about blowing up the front office. It's not about any of that. It goes back to what I told you a month ago. Either these guys are going to play to the back of their baseball cards or they're not. If Verlander and Scherzer have four-run leads or three-run leads and they're on the mound, whether they're in Atlanta, Pittsburgh, or City Field, they should win those ball games. When the Mets have leads in the ninth inning, look, eventually you knew they were going to blow something. They had this like incredible streak. And you, I still think Diaz, even though from a standpoint of all the stars on the roster, he's the one star that if you had to lose for the season, you could probably absorb that blow. Analytics and statistics dictates that. But that took a tremendous wind out of this team's sails. Last year, I argued this. You guys remember this. I said that Diaz was arguably the MVP of this team because you could bring him in whenever in a tight game, eighth inning, ninth inning, middle of the toughest part of the lineup or the bottom part. And you knew after a couple of bumps earlier in the season, you knew he was going to get the job done. And at the very least, even if he have his good stuff, it was going to be so hard to make contact consistently off of him that you had to really ride yourself into a home run to get it going or hope that he walked the, the ballpark. And those things didn't happen. And as he matures, I don't see those things happening. So it's a huge loss. But here's the bad news, and here's the honest talk before I take a break and bring in Anthony Rivera and we get his take on things. There is... No way out of this. There's no trade out of this. There's no Mauricio out of this. There's nothing going on down on the farm pitching-wise. There's no manager or jolt of some stupid firing that somehow the media and the fans think will make things better. It'll make you feel good for about a day. You go, we got him. Hey, he, he, he disappointed us. You're on the way out. Goodbye. You're not going to blow up the front office. I don't care if David Stern's coming as real or not. He's coming in an executive role. That's not going to change anything. The starting pitching has an ERA over five. That's not because of the manager. That's not because of Billy Epler. That's because Max Scherzer has shown a significant decline in performance. Verlander hasn't gotten on track. Kodai Singa has been good and bad up and down. The two kids that you counted on to give you back into the rotation performance in Peterson and McGill haven't even been big league pitchers. And now Carrasco, albeit he's pitching better, you maybe get five good innings. You really can't get the third time around the lineup with Carrasco. It's very clear. So you got another pitcher that requires you to call in the bullpen early. And that's where you're at. So the season is on the brink. You know, very soon we could be talking about sell-offs. I know there's already some ideas out there. Can the Mets make some big sell-off moves? There was rumors earlier in the year that even if they're improving in firmly in a wild-card spot. They'll be careful about what they trade, and maybe they'll do more of a retool where there are moves that can keep them winning and not hurt their chances of winning this year, but are also moves that are looked at for the future. And look, if you want to be positive, you want to be you know Pollyannish, you could say, but positive, there have been moments in history where teams that were expected to do better were lingering around 500 or worse until very late in the season. This is with one wild-card, never mind three. You know, the 1996 Orioles, a 500 team until the, uh, the the trade deadline, took off the last two months of the season, played the Yankees in the championship series. If not for Jeffrey Mayer, maybe they win that series. 
The Yankees of 95 went into the wild card, lost to Seattle the first round, a series many thought they should have won right before their their run of three in a row. Uh, you know, I shouldn't say three, you know, four out of five years and then three in a row, 98, 99, 2000. They were 53 and 56 going into September that year. That's under Buck Showalter. The 2016 Mets, under 500 in August, made the playoffs. So you've got examples of how you could mutter around this thing. I mean, look, you really shouldn't mess around past 60 or 70 games. But in a three wild card race, if you're hovering around 500, even into games 110, 115, 120, all you need is a good month. I mean, even the 2015 Mets showed you that you need a good six weeks to solidify your postseason ambitions. And then it's a tournament at that point. It is not ideal. It is not how you want to run this thing. It's even with the age and some of the injury issues, it's not where I believe this team should be. And I, I still think that unless they are hurt on the wrong side of the age, declining, whatever it may be, if this, these guys start to play to the back of their baseball card consistently as a majority of the group, and they don't, and that's why the, the team meeting with Buck was important. If they start to quit and they start to get away from putting the work in and doing the fundamental things that a, a team that under Buck does, what you saw last year, those are the difference makers. You know, playing to the back of the baseball card doesn't always happen, but making the right play, running the bases well, making the fundamental play, respecting the game and putting the time and work and effort in. The results don't always go the way you want, but those are the things you can control. And those are the things that the manager has to hold them accountable for. And I truly believe Buck does. Just because he doesn't air it to you on SNY doesn't mean it's not going on because he's not going to. He's very much about the sanctimony of the clubhouse. So all the solutions that talk radio and you guys want, which is yelling and screaming and firing and sending this one down or, or other stupid, like, you know, Mauricio, like he's going to come up here and beat Babe Ruth. Let the kid go and learn a couple of positions down the minor leagues and be a AAA all-star for a year before he comes up here. Look at Vientos, who is ripping the you-know-what out of the ball in AAA. He can't hit the side of a barn here in the big leagues. It is a much different game. And in the end, you want to talk about all the back of the baseball cards you want until that starting pitching performs as it should. Nothing's going to change. You cannot walk the most amount of batters in baseball and have a starting pitching area over five and make any kind of postseason run. I'm sorry. It just won't happen. It just won't happen. There's no manager that could solve it. There's no GM that could solve it. There's no owner that could solve it. There's no money that could solve it unless you're going to fire the whole starting rotation, eat their salary, and somehow find five better replacements on June 11th. And that is just not realistic. Cohen even said it in his piece. You can't pause and go back to December and say, well, maybe we'll re-sign Chris Bassett now. That was a decision made in December. You want to criticize Billy Epler? Maybe that's the one decision out of the offseason that he should have made. But honestly, everything else we were all on board with. Bassett and Senga was really the only debate we had. You know, maybe Verlander DeGrom, and he was right on that one. DeGrom, you know, Verlander hasn't performed up to expectation, but he's healthy, so to speak. DeGrom's not. So all this other white noise about blowing it up, about firing Buck, about firing Epler, you know, second, third guessing things that have been in existence of this organization for two years— it doesn't mean anything. It doesn't mean anything. 
And the real consistent message I keep you with is they have to play the back of the baseball card. And if it doesn't happen soon, just like those horses yesterday that I saw falling to the back of the pack and very quickly on the turn of the stretch fell to where they should be second division, if these numbers bear themselves to be who the 2023 Mets are, they're going to be just like those horses at the back of the pack and we'll be talking about next year. And we're not far away from that. And I hate to say it, part of the conversation in the next couple of weeks is, yes, it'll be better for the Mets maybe to trade off some of their veterans and get assets. I don't think blowing it up, because I think Verlander and Scherzer are here at least through the end of their contract. You know, assuming Scherzer's going to opt in and come back for another year. Verlander has another year in his contract. And as long as those two guys are here and they're not compromised or toast, the Mets are going to try to win. But we talked about this, and I'll leave you with this, and I'm not going to talk more about it today. There is the specter of a rebuild. I'm not saying it's going to be an Astros rebuild where they're gone for five years and losing 100 games, but taking a step back for a couple of years to go forward, I believe could be on the table very shortly because we talked about that last year when we thought last year might have been the Mets' best chance of winning with the age they have on the starting rotation in particular and with the lack of arms they have coming up from the minor leagues and the cost of and the variability of signing free agent pitchers. So that's where I'm at. I'm not here to scream and yell for firing. I'm just telling you, nothing's going to change, and you just have to sit back, see where this thing takes you, and if it doesn't fall to the back of the baseball card, if it doesn't start to resemble the back of the baseball card, then it's one of those seasons that's not happening, and you're disappointed, you're angry, but yelling and screaming and ranting and raving is not going to make a heck of a lot of difference. It's just white noise. All right, let's take a quick break. When I return, Anthony Rivera, Subway to Shea, let's get his thoughts. Am I off base? Am I being too nonchalant about where the Mets are at? Does he want to see someone fired? Does he want to see a shakeup? Does he like what he heard from Steve Cohen? That and more right after this. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. We're back. Is joining me, the much more likable of the duo here, Anthony Rivera, somebody Shay. I brought him in every so often. We do these like commingle podcasts. Came in last year around this time, post West Coast trip, much better situation for the Mets. He's been one of the luminaries in the panels. And Anthony, welcome in. You know the the theme of this show is season on the brink, and I figured, you know what, I tried to bring as much balance in my opening as possible, but 
Welcome to the program. How you doing? And um, let's see what you got. Let's see if you can balance out some of uh, what I got to bring here. Now, I appreciate you, Mike, for having me on. You don't give yourself enough credit. Come on. Uh, you know, you got a great podcast going on. I appreciate And um, you talk about balance. That's that's going to be the theme of this uh, of this podcast today, because it has to do with the Mets as well. A, a sense of balance is needed. So uh, that's a great way to uh, segue into what we're going to be talking about today. I, I started my show by saying, you know, I went to the Belmont Stakes yesterday, first time I've ever went to it. You know, I've been to racetracks, but I've never been to that. I was lucky enough to have a friend that got us a group down by the track. And as I was watching, forget about the main race, I was watching each of the races. You know, I look at the program and I don't know anything about horse racing, nothing. And I'll see 40 to ones and 25 to ones, and I'll put a couple of bucks bet on that. And then as I'm watching the race, I'm getting excited because, all right, I might win 50 bucks, right? Big deal. Not life-changing money, but it's fun to bet and to win. And my long shot halfway through the race is right there. I'm like, could you imagine if this, like, this is easy. Look, everybody should put this down. And then once you make that turn to that final quarter of a mile, you see why certain horses are five to twos and four to ones and five to ones and why these 50 to ones, they're not all that good. They can't sustain it. And I thought about the baseball season. I'm looking at that. I'm like, you know, that's the baseball season. Right now, the wild card is this big muck, and the Mets are falling to the back of the muck, but they're in that muck. We know the Braves and the Dodgers are way ahead, and and I didn't think the Mets were positioned for a variety of reasons to really win the division this year. But they're in that muck, and things don't look good now. But I think over the next couple of weeks, we're going to really find out if can they be in that turn with the wild card and get one of those three spots? Can they, what is it, show? It's called show in, in racing. Can they show? And then once the tournament starts, you and I'll be like, hey, this all doesn't matter. Because really, we are at where the season's on the brink. I think you're about two weeks away from finding that out. But you also have to remember, it is a long season. And there's also been history, the 96 Orioles, the 95 Yankees, even the Mets in 2016. Teams that meandered into August and then all of a sudden found themselves. So. That's where I'm at. I'm not ready to dive off the cliff, and I'm certainly, we'll get into it, not ready to fire the world. But I think we have to remember it's a long season. And right now, the lot the Mets have signed up for, they're in the muck, and the muck could last a while. And it's a long way still from the turn of the stretch. Yeah, you know, history has not been too kind to this franchise over the 60 years that they have been around. And you, you see, this is why, a lot of the fans are as frustrated as they are right now. And there's only so much that this team has been able to handle this season. And I, I you know, I was on with Des- Dexter Henry of uh, SNY New York Post. And, you know, we were talking about, you know, if this team can really turn this around, like what's it going to take? And, you know, to me, I looked at this month and I got the schedule next to me. You know, we obviously it started with Toronto, who's a pretty good team. You know, Atlanta, we know Pittsburgh, who was surprising this year. The Yankees, the Cardinals always give the Mets a tough time. Houston will always do the same thing. Going to Philly, which is never always easy for the Mets. And then they go to Milwaukee, uh, Milwaukee comes here and they fresh off sweeping us uh, at the beginning of the season. And what I wanted, considering what we saw the first two months of the season, what I really wanted was for this team to somehow come out 500. Given what we've seen already from the team, you know, asking for them to be over 500 would be great, but I'm I'm just trying to look at it, measure it, and 
I thought if they could finish 500 by the end of June, then we can, you know, get this team started and focused in the right direction off to the start already two and eight with the 5.09 ERA from the starting pitching rotation. Not good, not good at all. And when you're not getting the, uh, the, the starting pitching that we, that is needed from the top two aces of the staff, when you're not getting that, those innings from them. And what we saw in Atlanta was very disappointing, uh, especially from Verlander. Yeah, it's going to be a tough stretch. And, you know, listening to your podcast, everyone had been talking about the hitting, 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 and how frustrating it is for hitting. And you leaned into the starting rotation and how that was going to be a big issue, the bullpen being an issue, the whole pitching staff as a total being the bigger issue. And, you know, I kind of took a look at that, and you were right. The starting pitching, if that those guys don't go five innings at the very least, give us six, seven, which would be, you know, preferably so we would like to see they're taxing the bullpen, right? And, and and they're already exhausted now heading into June. And then when you're giving up four or five runs in the first two or three innings, that taxes the, the offense as well. It doesn't give them any wiggle room. The starter on the other team pitches differently with a four run lead than yeah. if it's a zero, zero game. It's, it's as simple as that. And you know, it goes back to the back of the baseball card. You know, I saw all week people complaining, well, why is Steven Nagosik the guy that the Mets, the best they could do to get big outs? Well, Steven Nagosik shouldn't be getting big outs in the fourth inning on a game that Verlander starts. Mm-hmm. You're setting him up to fail. You probably set him up to fail with the amount of times he was used for two or three innings. You blew his arm out. You know, that was his lot in life. Um, you know, it, this team was built on the stars, Lindor, Alonzo, who's out, McNeil, Nimmo, those core offensive players putting up elite numbers. And then your component players, Marte, who was on the peripheral of that, Canna, you thought Vogelback could give you that production against right-handed pitching, doing enough around it. What you saw Saturday, that 5-1 victory, that's the blueprint. Good starting pitching, go to your bullpen, timely two-out hitting. These are things that they were good at last year. Maybe if you look at it from an analytical standpoint, they were variable and it was foolish for them to not expect it again. But honestly, if you get good pitching like you got on Saturday, more times than not, the Mets are in a position where I think they have a shot at beating anybody, but they're not getting that. And the frustrating part here I know for everybody is, is they're listening to you and I, and I guarantee you there's people who are saying they should be yelling and screaming, call for Buck's head, call for Epler's head, you know, bring up Mauricio, you know, Trade Scherzer Verlander. By the way, guys, Scherzer Verlander have full no trade clauses. They're not going anywhere. They're not going I mean, anywhere. You know, maybe on. you could go to Verlander and say, hey, man, the Yankees want you. And I got this great deal. And maybe he says, sure. I mean, everything's negotiable for money. You know, the frustrating part, I think, for the fan base is, is that you are in the – I've been saying this for weeks. We're in the back of the cab, and the cabbie's running the show. We know where we want to go. He's taken us in this different journey. And we have no say in it because it's the back of the baseball card. If it doesn't get better, I don't know where you, there's no way to solve it. I mean, you can make some moves at the deadline for maybe bringing in a Chapman to close or another component bat. If you're not happy with uh, Canna, uh, you know, bringing another bullpen on or back in the rotation starter. Those are all out there. You could get that done. But to get to that point, I think you're right. You got to be about 500. I said 10 over at the all-star break. Right now, I'm with you. If you could be 500 
uh, July 1st and maybe a few games over going into the All-Star game in a month, then you assess where you're at, and then maybe it's okay to invest a little bit in this team. But I'll tell you, in another two weeks, you're 10 under because you're trending towards the 10 under now. That's the next. Then I think we have to talk about, well, what can you do with the roster to gain some assets for next year? And I hate to use the R word, and I don't think it'll happen with Scherzer and Verlander contract years. I said a rebuild is not out of the question. I'm not saying a five-year one, but a two-year pause, a three-year pause was something in the back of my head, knowing how much their farm system needed to go that was out there if their spending spree didn't yield some kind of fruit uh, over the first two or three years of the Cohen regime. Look, the it as great as it is to have the money that Cohen has and to be able to spend that money and outpay for players, the problem comes if those players don't produce, they're untradeable. You're not going to be able to trade them without you know eating the cost. It happens to the Yankees all the time. They have to eat the cost. Although with them, there seems to be something where every time they bring up someone, it, it just works out. Same with the Braves. Every time they bring up Michael Harris last year, uh, Vaughn Grissom, uh, I think they brought up a pitcher this year. I think Bryce Elder. I, I can't remember his name, but they've all been successful. Whereas the Mets will bring up someone, and it's not that successful that quickly. So, uh, yeah, I don't know where – this team turns this around, and obviously everyone wants to see Ronnie Mauricio come up. And, hey, you can bring him up, but if he doesn't hit, then what? What are right. we going to do, right? And what are you doing to his development? I mean, here you're trying to figure out, and the key to baseball now is versatility. Can you play multiple positions? Because, you you know, you have the DH. You only have so many spots on the bench. You need you need thirteen arms sometimes, twelve arms out there. You know whatever the max is, they could put. I think it's twelve the max. And you know you can't have three catchers. You can't have every position filled. So you need versatility. And forget about Vientos. You want to say Vientos was a fraud? You know he never was a big leaguer. You want to argue that Mauricio's better? You can. But Vientos was tearing up the international league. Now he's in the big leagues. Whether you like his playing time or not, he's been treated the same way. Beatty was treated coming up. The same way Alvarez, to a certain degree, those guys worked through it, started to hit, gave them reasons to keep in the lineup. Vientos has it. And then you're asking to put Mauricio, who's learned a new position at second, now would be in his best interest to learn the outfield. And you're asking him to do that and then come up to the big leagues in a win situation where the fans of the media are putting savior status on him. FYI, none of these kids are saviors. Maybe Alvarez. I mean, the exciting, the, the best news you have over the last couple of weeks is that Alvarez and Alonzo with Alonzo thought of him signing long-term, you have potentially two of the more dynamic power hitters in the game back to back, maybe in the lineup, depending on where he, he, he pits them where the organization hits them. I mean, that's 80 home runs right there, maybe 90. I mean, that's, that's exciting, you know, to me. So, but it's not a savior and it's unfair to ask them to be saviors. So right now you just got to sit back and take your medicine and hope it gets better. And I know that this fan base is not good at that. The media is not good at that. And we could sit here and talk about firing Buck and hiring this guy and bringing back Terry Collins and should have never been Billy Epler. I know we could do that. I guess that is fun. But is that really being intellectually honest to the audience what real solutions are? I don't think so. 
you know, maybe you have some ideas of how you would run things. But to me, I would just write it out. Uh, it's the same group that won 100 games last year in the, in the brain trust. Same group. They didn't and, and get dumb you, overnight. Don't you think that considering what happened last year, the 101 wins, which is what? This is like maybe third or fourth time in franchise history that they've they've gotten it. It's the first time in my lifetime of watching baseball because I was too young for eight. I mean, I was at 88. I was a, I was born a month after 86. So that's out 88 yep. too young. Um, right. The 99 team and the 2000 team love those teams, but they didn't get to 100 wins. Uh, 2006, I thought if they had a better pitching staff, a starting staff, they might have. If Pedro would have lasted longer, that would have been great. 2015 didn't kick in until they got Cespedes. And this team was probably one of the better teams. If you dis- Obviously, September killed them. But this is one of the best teams, uh, I guess, regular season teams in franchise history. I can't fire them. And, and it's not even that they're 10 or 20 games under 500. I can't fire Buck right now. And, I mean, if anyone has to take the onus on this, it's definitely Epler for putting this team together the way that he did. Uh, but, and, but, Anthony, outside of Chris Bassett, who I, who I wanted, guessed, who I first guessed, and if you wanted Senga, I looked at Senga as the plus. And yeah. I understand that there was concerns about the pitch clock, and he's older, and does he handle New York, and does he want to be? We don't. Even, maybe he didn't want to be here. We don't know that part. But Quintana Bassett, to me, that was the real criticism. But everything else, including Verlander, for DeGrom, I was disappointed when DeGrom didn't sign, but now that looks smart. Offensively, you knew they had invested pitching. There wasn't much they could do. They were going to rely on Beatty and Alvarez and Vientos this year as depth pieces. I'm fine with that. The bullpen, we had no idea Diaz was going to jump off the mound and, and blow his, his knee and leg out. We had mm-hmm. no idea. These All these guys, Adovino, Rayleigh, Robertson, were supposed to be leading up to Diaz. Now they're asked, it's like an NBA team where their star went down. All the component guys now have to take on bigger roles. It's unfair. They don't look as good because you're miscasting them. That wasn't the blueprint. Outside of Bassett, I don't know where you criticize Epler. Knowing how much money's on the roster already, they're already, I think Cano is his last year here. So there's some dead money there. What would you have done differently? I mean, it's easy to sit here and say he sucks, but what move would you have done differently other than Bassett? I don't know of one. Do you? Because that's the only one I could think of. Yeah, I, I definitely was on with keeping Bassett. I said in the offseason that I wanted Bassett to come back outside of those two games that he had in Atlanta and uh, against San Diego in the postseason. The guy was rock solid. He was your anchor during a time when DeGrom and Scherzer were both out, and he put strung together some, you know, big games. And you're talking about, you know, obviously maybe he didn't answer some of the questions the way he should have. Maybe he should have been mentored a little better about handling the New York media. But when you talk about players that need to play for this team, they have to be able to play in New York. And Bassett was one of them, you know, and then you're going, obviously Verlander's the ace, but we don't know how he's going to play in New York. And it hasn't been great to start. Like you said, Sanga is, you know, kind of like that project that they're working on. So I, I do have a little bit more patience through a full season with him, the ups and the downs, but he can't be asked to be the third guy 
uh, in this rotation, especially when he can only pitch what once every six days. So that, that, that's, uh, and, and you look at the rest of the field, right? DeGrom out now with Tommy John surgery. Rodon hasn't even pitched at all this season. Uh, there's a whole bunch of players that, you know, pitchers that have just been hurt. What a uh, Seth Lugo maybe would have been. And yep. I think he's been hurt. He's hurt. Yeah. He's uh, hurt. So th- it's really, really pitchers make too much money to me. Um, and well, the posi- Anthony, this is the scary part, not since you're up, but that's why I used the R word earlier. If your whole strategy, if you can't develop pitching, and it's been a long time since the Mets have developed pitching, a long time, Lugo and Gazelleman were like the last duo. Yeah. They helped get them to the postseason. I mentioned the 2016 Mets earlier when they came in for DeGrom and Harvey down the stretch that year. If they can't develop even three, four, five in a rotation, and they have yet to prove they can do that because McGill and Peterson do not look like big league pitchers. They look like 4A a lot at times then, yeah, you got to rebuild because here's the next thing. Do you go and sign Aaron Nola? Maybe another year, Zach Wheeler is a free agent again. Uh, You know, Verlander and the Scherzer contracts are undone. I mean, that's the positive news. None of these guys are – the pitchers aren't signed in perpetuity. It's the Lindors of the world that are. Would have been Correa. Imagine Correa if they saw the roster. Oh, yeah, That would have been – I mean, everybody who supported that move, the rats would be running off the ship on that one. That's typical New York fans and media. But – um, that's why I'm concerned because if the sobering, I knew that you had a small window over Lander and Scherzer, but I thought you had two to three years. If the window is closed, if we're seeing Pedro post-surgery, Glavin after game number 162, we're seeing that expiration date on the milk carton come before eyes and it comes quick. Anthony Glavin was a solid pitcher and overnight he aged like that. It happens. We've seen it. You know, maybe there's some injuries under the hood too. There's some, you know, little things. Then this is a much bigger problem because even if you were able to get a bunch of Jose Quintanas for your staff, solid pitchers, I don't think the team is built to win that way. They're built to win over a strong one-two punch. And if that one-two punch isn't there, then nothing else matters. And I, I I challenge anyone to tell me, if you were Billy Epler, how would you have done it differently? Who else was out there? Who else could you have signed? Now, maybe Otani this offseason changes the whole thing. But we all know that's 50-50 at best. Yeah. So that's the thing. It's it's very problematic. The pitching is problematic because even after the next two years, Basil, Hamill, I mean, who are these guys? We don't know. We have, And the history says the Mets haven't developed anybody. So I'm skeptical at best. Yeah, I think um, also, you know, thankfully, these are only two to three year deals because you, you know, you go four or five years with the Verlander Scherzer. And I think we're in a whole lot more trouble than we are right now. I I think, you know, for Epler, some of the, you know, criticism for me, you know, comes with the more, like you say, component players, uh, bullpen pieces, bench pieces where I, I think he could have improved some of those players. And, you know, he, he went back to the well with Ruff. Uh, he brought back Vogel back, and it's just not working out. And, you know, outside of the first month of Vogel back, uh, then he, I think he got hurt at Yankee Stadium. He hadn't been the same since then. Um, I, I do feel like he could have made some moves there. Obviously, there was no big moves to make in the lineup outside of bringing back Brandon Nimmo, unless you were going to go crazy and go after Aaron judge, which 
he was probably going to go back to the Yankees anyway, and then you would have wasted your time, and Nimmo would have went somewhere else. Uh, so, I, I, but but the That's bench a pipe and dream. the bullpen. That's a pipe dream. The bench the and the bullpen. Yeah, the bench and the bullpen, and I think, uh, you know, it's funny because other teams, it's weird how San Diego has taken a step back. You know, the Mets aren't the only team here that is struggling, and it goes back to kind of what Steve Cohen told Joe, Joel Sherman this weekend. You know, the free agency is a crapshoot. Look at you, Darvish, not having a great year. Um, Joe Musgrove not having a great year. That whole San Snell. Diego team. Yeah, I mean, I mean all those guys look like world beaters that had a great season. I look up and down the lineup, you know, and the two guys that are hitting are Fernando Tatis Jr., Soto, kind of back to who he was. But Xander Bogart's not hitting the hell out of the ball. And I think a lot of people forget you know, there's the mindset is usually when a guy gets a big contract, doesn't produce, he chokes, he can't handle the pressure or he decided to hang out and count his money. And that does happen, but these are still very prideful athletes. I don't think fans understand when you get that big contract and you walk in that locker room and the Mets have a couple of those guys, McNeil with a reasonable contract, Nimmo that now are expected to be the producers. There's expectations and pressure that maybe was not there prior. Now, it's part of the deal of getting paid. I'm not crying for them, but I think we forget about that. And the Mets, they have the expectations of the owner that nobody wants to see win, the payroll, living up to 100 wins. And remember, Pete Alonso said something in spring training. I don't know. I mentioned that. I don't know if you caught it, where they didn't have as much fun last year in that clubhouse for a 100-win team. That's telling me they're feeling a lot of pressure. Yeah, they didn't even celebrate making the postseason. Yeah, and is that buck? Very subdued. Yeah, is that buck? Now, this week has been the week of fire everybody. I've heard fire buck, fire Epler. I mean, Daniel Vogelback has become the poster child of this Mets team. He's been bad, and he's passive at the plate, and he has had a history in his career of having really good seasons and then cratering the following year. I think it's unfair to put his all on Vogelback. Vogelback is not the reason the Mets are 31 and 35. He's a part of the offense and consistency. Um, but again, I mean, Anthony, where other than for us to have fun on this kind of show, where does a firing get you? And when you ask people, you fire Buck, you put Chavez in charge or oh, Beltran. Now they want Beltran. When I say oh, Beltran, I go, you all couldn't wait to get Beltran out of here over ethics and morals. Just, you know, it looks like yesterday we we're having that conversation. Now you want him back? And it's okay. Now it's okay for him to be the Mets manager. I mean, I'm banging my head. It's so stupid. And I'm just like, why are you falling into this trap? This is, this is not the way to watch a team. And by the way, Anthony, here's the money ball thing I thought of. You think other people are not watching around the league to see how this is all playing out. And you heard about nobody wanted to work for Steve Cohen. The way that the fans and the media are asking for the Mets to behave or for Cohen to behave is exactly why nobody would want to work here. All right, I get fired. I get my contract. Okay, I get money. But my career's shot. You know, you think people want to come here and, and, and be fired after 12 months? You know, you think the Mets have the ability to clean out that front office for a third or fourth time in three years? Think about all the people that came with Epler. This is far more complicated. I don't think people realize firing a GM and a manager is manager's easy. Buying a GM is far more complicated. Yeah, I don't know how true this is. And I, I read it this morning. There was some report. I don't know if it was from Bob Nightingale or what. Bob and, you know, you can, yeah. uh, you know, take that with a grain of salt as much as you want. I mean, sometimes he's right. 
just sometimes he's wrong. You know, it, it is what it is with all these reporters. But there was a report that the Mets were at the offseason going to, for sure, sign David Stearns and let him run the team. Now, you know, I don't know how true that is, and I don't like to get into that future stuff until it happens. You know, make me a believer when the signing actually happens. But, you know, if that's the case, if that's going to happen, you know, obviously you have to, given what happened last year, you have to let Buck and Epler finish out the year. Maybe you tell Epler, hey, we are not going to make any trades right now. We're not doing anything, and we're going to stand pat and hope that this team turns it around. We don't want to trade any of the prospects. We don't want to bring in any big contracts. We are going to wait until the offseason. Once Stearns comes in here, he can decide what he wants to do with you and what he wants to do yep. with uh, with Buck. But until then, let's stay as is and see if these guys who we've paid all this money to and who have shown already that they can be winners – See if they can turn it around, and this is not just a, a, a fluky season. And, and Stearns is coming in as a high-level executive. He's not going to be here for the GM. Like, I think that's the other part. Yeah. He's coming in in a Theo Epstein role. Epler would work for him. Um, the Mets have made no secret that that's a position they've wanted to fill. Maybe it was a business person. They, let it, they left it kind of out there. Maybe they put it that way so that they won't get charged with tampering. Uh, but I, I, here's what I see happening. And I, let's talk about the next few weeks. A season on the break. I think the next two weeks is going to tell a lot. You got Subway Series, you got the Cardinals, you go to Philly. You outline the schedule well. Um, I think if you're closer to 10 under than to 500 come July 1st, I think you got yourself some problems. And I think then the conversation is how are you going to approach the deadline with what could you sell off and what assets you could get for those sell-offs that will help you? I don't think the R word will happen now, the rebuild will happen now. Unless the Scherzer-Verlander component leads to season-ending, career-ending injuries. That's where the rebuild, to me, the linchpin. It's for Lander and Scherzer. If they are done, the rebuild conversation is much more real. That also plays into Pete Alonzo and what you do with Pete. I hate to tell everybody that because an expensive contract for a first baseman, if you're going into rebuild, may not be what you want. So there's a lot of things on the table, scary things, I think, but I'm not ready, like like you said, to to say that, hey, it's time to throw it away. But even if they're in that 500 realm and they're in that wild card muck, other than a few ancillary moves that come reasonable with prospect capital, Aroldis Chapman, uh, back in there, like a Kyle Gibson type. I'm not saying Kyle Gibson, but that kind of pitcher, like what the Phillies did. The kind of moves that the Braves did at the, the, the deadline a couple of years ago under component players, what the Phillies did. I'm all for that. Even if they're around 500, give it a shot. It's not going to hurt. But I think then the long-term thing is, what does it mean for next year? And I think that I think the performance of Verlander and Scherzer, how much they have in the tank, is going to play a lot into that R word getting used and being being thrown out there. You know, I think we all really need to, and this is the team included, need to adjust to this new format, this new playoff format. The trade deadline is going it's, to, it's a whole lot different. We're not going to see the crazy trades we used to, uh, you know, back in the late 90s and the the, the early 2000s and, you know, 2050. You're not going to see those, maybe one or two of those trades you're going to get. But unless you're going to give up a lot, you're not going to get these guys because 
some of these teams still have playoff hopes. The Pirates are going to still be in it. They're not going to trade sure. off their guys. And if you want them, you're going to have to pay for them. The Diamondbacks, they're still going to be in it. So they're, they might rather have the players that they have and try to make some more money before the bottom runs out at the end of the season and they don't make the playoffs then, you know, trade these guys off and just sell because then after that, after you sell, you're pretty much killing the rest of the season. And, and sure. your, your tickets are you're not going to sell tickets. You're not going to get these guys in. I mean, look at, you know, I was at game two of the uh, postseason uh, last year. It wasn't sold out. Now, yeah. I don't know if it was because they lost game one and, you know, people were frustrated with how they lost game one and they mm. thought they were just going to lose after the rough September. It's a tough, Anthony, it's a tough fan base. I got to tell you, it's not getting any easier. It's a tough fan base. You know, I talked to someone yesterday, a big Mets fan when I was at the Belmont. He goes, a guy I like, he's like, I hate this Mets team. I hate so many guys on the team. And I'm like, why? Because I don't know. I just, I just hate them. And it's like, this is an unhealthy place to play. And I know there's a lot of baggage here. Uh, I know it's a tough place with a lot of disappointment. But when you start to look at how hard it is to win and you start to just peel all the other New York teams, even the Yankees since 2000, Yankees have won one title. The Giants won a couple of Super Bowls and they've been in the doldrums for a while. The Jets haven't won anything. Rangers haven't won since 1994. The Islanders haven't won since 1984. (laughs) All right. The Devils have themselves a cup and, you know, a few wins, but. You know, we'll talk about the Jersey teams, Brooklyn Nets. Look what happened there with Durant and everything. Winning is hard. It's not this like no brainer thing. And I know the Pats and the Yankees and the Niners and all these other dynasties, but those are the exceptions. And to get to that, you have to be good. You have to be smart. And let's face it, you got to be a little bit lucky too. And, you know, you you know what would have been um, probably one of the smarter moves for the Mets to make. And it would have, the fan base would have hated it. If you want to talk about a stable rotation, you're probably looking at one Chris Bassett returning and two last season, bringing back Marcus Stroman. And if you look at what, like forget all the, the outside stuff about Marcus Stroman, right? It's like frustrating, uh, you know, all the antics and all that stuff, but look at what he does when he pitches on the, like he's seven innings. He was a solid pitcher. Yeah. And you have him and Bassett in the rotation and it's a whole lot. I'm not, I'm not saying that, you know, the, the fans would have loved it, but I I, I do feel like if those two guys were in the rotation, it's a little bit different than what we're seeing. I mean, you can't, I mean, it's, 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 I mean, Bassett is the easier second guess. I think Stroman was hurt last year. You know, I don't know. Like some people felt his clubhouse antics. You know, we don't know. I had no problem with Stroman. Is he tough to take when you're on the other side of the fence? A hundred percent. Does he bother me? Look, he. You know what bothers me is I see these home run celebrations in the dugout, the Red Sox last night with these stupid props. That bothers me. I don't like it, but it's the world we live in at this point. So, so Anthony Rivera and somebody Shea, you're in the camp like I. You know, we're just going to sit back. We're going to hope for the best. We're going to hope they play to the back of the baseball card. We're not firing Buck. We're not firing Epler. We understand there's maybe one or two moves you could second guess, but we all like this roster other than the concern of age coming into the season. And, you know, what's your drop dead date about? I'm taking July 4th as my, you know, sometime when there's a show on or after July 4th, I will give my it's time to blow the, th- not blow the thing up, but it's time to sell off of the deadline. That's my day. Are you in, are you in lockstep with that? Or are you going to give it a little bit more time? 
I'm going to give it a little bit more time. Um, definitely after the all-star break at some point, maybe at the end of July. I mean, if the team is, you know, hovering within a playoff spot, a, a wild card spot, I'm not even thinking about the division at this point. I mean, yep. just looking at the wild card spot, if they can somehow, you know, still be in it at that point, you know, anything is possible, right? We saw with the Phillies last year, they, you know, they barely made it in and then they went all the way to the world series. So anything is possible and can happen, but you know, they're going to start, we're starting to need to see consistency from the starting rotation, five, six innings from here on out. I cannot see another Verlander start. Like I did the other night. <laughs> we can't have that. that. Uh, even makes Scherzer, you wonder who, why that happened. It's gotta be an injury. You gotta think. An injury? Think. Is it the pitch clock that's throwing these guys off? Like, I think what the is pitch happening? clock has had a big impact on the veterans in this team. I think I think we haven't talked about that. I don't think we could prove it, but I think having the oldest or one of the older teams in the league, I think the pitch clock is a factor. Uh, sure, I can't complains prove it. about it every start. I agree. I think it's definitely a factor, and it ain't going anywhere. And uh, you know, look as rules change and leagues change, the NBA, the NHL, football you know, players in positions become dinosaurs based on rule changes. Look at the center position in the NBA. Nobody posts up anymore. Nobody plays inside. Those those guys are dinosaurs. Uh, I'm not saying that Scherz is a dinosaur because of the pitch clock, but his way of being maybe too thinking man on the mound or too methodical, you know, maybe that's just not going to be uh, be feasible anymore. So what do you, so Andy, what do you got coming up? Uh, let the listeners know, somebody Shay. Uh, obviously you've been, uh, you know, great making the rounds on the media circuit, New York post amazing, but true podcast. You mentioned, uh, being uh part of uh, what SNY doing some spots over there. So let us know what you got coming up and, uh, and where people could find you. Yeah, I have I should have a shortcut that do like the New York post SNY does these shorts that I work with, with uh, Dexter Henry. And he has me coming in to, you know, talk about what's been going on with the team. So there should be one of those coming out either tonight tomorrow at, at some point definitely before the subway series because we were wrapping up the pirate series um that along with the podcast i'll probably be doing a preview right before we get on with the subway series to make sense of you know what's been going on like we're doing here today and then i write for rising apple i'm a contributor at rising apple uh, risingapple.com yeah, yeah. You, you got your podcast on there yeah so. i got the podcast so well, listen, this is always fun. Last time you and I came on together outside of being a panel was after the big Medina save against the Dodgers. Oh, Things yeah. were a lot more fun <laughs> back then. That was a lot more fun, that show. This was fun. Not as fun as it could be. But we've laid out the next few weeks and, you know, season on the brink. You know, we're at the rubber meets the road point. I think the Belmont Stakes and the horses was a good analogy. It was uh, timely based on my uh, attendance and Uh, I'm looking forward to more of this and thanks again for joining me and uh, keep up the good work and let's do this again, my friend. Uh, Mike, I appreciate it, man. Thanks so much for having me on. And that's Anthony Rivera. Anthony Rivera, somebody Shay. Good stuff. All right, let's take a quick break. Wrap up your listening to the Talking Mets podcast. We'll be back with more right after this. The Talking Mets podcast is available on many outlets, but the most popular is Apple Podcast. Hi, I'm Mike Silva, the host of the Talking Mets podcast, and I encourage you to leave a review about the program on Apple. Just rate it one to five stars, hopefully a five, because why wouldn't you? And then if you have time, leave a review. It helps the podcast continue to grow and encourages others to take a listen. You can also email me at MikeSilva at 
TalkingMetsPodcast.com. No G. TalkingMetsPodcast.com. Hope to hear from you soon and enjoy the rest of the show. Anthony Rivera, love his podcast, love seeing him, what he's doing and the success he's had. He's one of the good guys out there. Hope you enjoyed us kind of commingling. And I wanted to get his take. You know, I know that, you know, sometimes good radio is someone with a polar opposite opinion from me. But, you know, I think Anthony gave us some things to think about. And look, I am truly, as I look at the schedule uh, over the next, oh, two and a half, three weeks, you know, July 4th is right in front of us. And uh, the Mets are actually playing on July 4th. They're actually playing in uh, Arizona at 4 o'clock. So sometimes, you know, with the Memorial Day and the holidays, you never know when they fall. The teams don't even play. But that week, and the Mets will be going right before the All-Star break. That week, they'll be going Arizona and San Diego, and then it'll be the All-Star game. You know, as we get into that, that's kind of where I'm going to have to make my declaration, the official Talking Mets declaration about whether or not this team should go out and we talked about the phase we're in. What does this team need to win? But what's different about this year and this team, it's not just about what they need to win. It's will they even get to the point where that matters by the current roster playing to their career norms? And and really, that's it. And I think the most important thing for any of you out there, anybody who's waking up every morning waiting for Buck to be fired or Cohen to do something like George Steinbrenner in the 80s, Read the article in the New York Post with Joel Sherman and Cohen. That's not who he is. And you hear the rumors about David Stearns coming in maybe as kind of a VP of baseball operations or president or team president or whatever fancy title they give him. That's for the offseason. That's also not going to matter in the sense where Stearns coming in is not a magic wand. I mean, I know he great story, intern for the Mets, had some success in a small market in Milwaukee. The real anchor of where this thing goes in the short term, whether it's viable to compete and win and make the playoffs and win in that tournament, is Verlander and Scherzer. You got Scherzer for another year after this year. You got Verlander for another year. This is not going the way you want this year. Are they healthy enough to give you whatever juice they have left next year for about $90 million? And if the answer is you see the answer affirmative yes in the back half of the year, then you go out and you try to win this thing without going crazy irresponsible on contracts. I think Otani in the winter of Otani is something that we know is going to be part of the equation, whether Verlander and Scherzer are done or not. But I also think, you know, putting the Otani aside, because if you bring Otani in, you're not going to rebuild. But outside of that big move, I really think that putting that R word on the table as part of the equation, not right now, but very soon in the near future, unless you start to see Farm system pitching reinforcements that matter. I'm not going to say it's the next Jacob DeGrom and Max Scherzer. You're not asking for Hall of Famers all the time. But guys that can give you number three, number four, number five type performance. Maybe a number two. Sometimes aces are hard to come by. Maybe those are the kind of players you need to go out and import. And when you have prospect capital, you could do it. Who's the next ace that's going to become available? But the variability of pitching, the free agent market, the cost of pitching, how much of it's of the payroll it's sucking up, even for a wealthy owner like Steve Cohen, just it's going to get difficult to build that starting rotation through free agency, through trades, and compete and win consistently. So, you know, buckle up. We're in that real critical time of the year. 
we've seen things go south during these periods in 2018 and you know 2019 their bad june really did them in where they could have made the playoffs you know even with the diaz struggles and we all know what happened in 2021 when the rubber met the road a little later in the year but um the next couple of weeks will go a long way in determining whether or not it will be worth the Mets investing some reasonable prospect capital into trying to make this tournament. Because right now it's about the wild card. The Mets are not a team that can win the division. I don't see that. I don't see the Braves going into that kind of tank. I don't see the Mets being able to rip off that kind of winning streak. The best case scenario is you got a high 80s team, win team that puts it together, plays to the back of the baseball cards, and makes it into that wild card muck. And then at that point, we'll see what the matchups are and where that goes. So anyway, I want to thank Anthony Rivera for joining me on this edition of the Talking Mets podcast. You could check me out all the time at thetalkingmetspodcast.com. You could check Anthony out all the time at Subway to Shea. Of course, I want to thank the good folks from the Fan Sided Podcasting Network. You can check me out all the time on Instagram, Talking Mets No G, and at Mike Silva Media on Twitter. I am your host, Mike Silva. Enjoy the rest of your Sunday. Enjoy the rest of your week. We'll be back with another Talking Mets podcast next week. Till then, take care, everybody. New Year is the perfect time to start building credit scores. Because when your credit scores increase, your opportunities do too. Like loan approvals and lower interest rates. Chime makes it easier to keep building your credit with a secured Chime Credit Builder Visa credit card. You can use Credit Builder everywhere Visa credit cards are accepted. Chime helps you build your credit scores safely by using your own money to make everyday purchases and on-time payments. To apply, just open a Chime checking account with a $200 qualifying direct deposit. And don't stress, there's no annual fee or credit check required to apply and get started. Start building your credit history and finding new opportunities with the secured Chime Credit Builder Visa Credit Card. Get started today at Chime.com build. That's Chime.com build. The Chime Credit Builder Visa Credit Card is issued by the Bancorp Bank N.A. or Stride Bank N.A. members FDIC. Late payment may negatively impact your credit score. Results may vary.